how about the backend part of things? So I think for for the backend, it's 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 a mixed bag. And again, I, I feel so bad that I can't just like give you a straight answer. It's, uh, mm. it's it would be it would be so nice if it was like a satisfying. I could just tell you like just go do this and it will be fine. Um, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. So there are some other examples where you know enclosure. I don't think that we're better off than mm -hmm. in pretty much any other popular programming language. I should probably say that when I say when I think popular, I'm mostly, and, and it's probably true for this audience in particular, you know, there's lots of places that people use Clojure, but I'm thinking mostly web applications, right? Or like right. maybe mm -hmm. iOS and, and Android, you know, like mm -hmm. with React Native or something. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking like HTTP REST style backend most of the time. Right. Um, and so there, you know, I don't think it's not clear to me that in Clojure we're like fundamentally better off against, say, server-side request forgery attacks than mm -hmm. any other, you know, any other language. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe it would be a good thing to go through a, a SSRF attack because I think it's one that most people aren't super familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea... Um, so earlier I mentioned uh, uh, client-side request forgery. So client, the, the, the fundamental idea behind request forgery is their confused deputy attacks. So what does that mean? I am going to get something to abuse something that it knows or some authority that it has to do something on my behalf that, you know, that is incorrect, that it shouldn't have done. Mm -hmm. So the, the most common example is in the browser. Where, like I said, you make, you know, evil.com makes um, uh, an XML HTTP request or like forum post or whatever um, and sends that to victim.com and it sends the cookie along. Evil.com can't read the cookie for victim.com, but it can use the cookie and that's basically the same. I mean, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's close enough, right? Um, so you're using something that the browser knows, the browser is a confused deputy, um, to your advantage. Server-side request forgery, same idea, uh, except I'm making the backend make a request that, um, that it's not supposed to make. And the usual um, way, that that, uh, way that that works is, for example, um, let's say there's a feature where you upload a link to an image, and that's going to be my profile picture or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and... So it arrives at the back end and the back end is going to do, um, you know, is going to make an HTTP request. It's going to go get that image. It's going to come back. It's probably going to like try and resize it and then, I don't know, save it in the database or something, right? Mm -hmm. So walking through that feature, there are two things there that I'm, that I'm scared of. There's the image processing because a lot of image processing libraries are like super scary C, uh, you know, pieces of C uh, in a lot of cases with like assembly uh, added to it. Uh, and you know those things are just bug pinatas, right? Like it's it's like this uh, incredibly uh, underspecified parser that is optimized for performance, not necessarily for security. Um, you know, either image parsers or video parsers, even worse. Um, you know, that's it, it's a bug waiting to happen. So hmm. one of the things that we work with customers a lot is, uh, you know, if you are going to do something like that, if you are going to resize or or scrub images, um, ideally like put it in a Lambda or something and, and give the Lambda no other permissions, right? Like just give it mm -hmm. like, you know, here's a pre-signed S3 URL. Great. Go fetch the image, go write the image back. And like, we're done. It has no access to anything. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one way to do it. Or like use a hosted service um, so that, you know, Amazon probably has more uh, 
R&D budget that you do. So if you can mm. offload that problem to someone else. And I say Amazon, but obviously GCP, same thing, Azure, same thing. Um, mm. So uh, that's that's one part of the attack is the, the image processing part or the media processing part. Um, but the attack I want to talk about, the SSRF, is in the first part when you make that request to <laughs> the URL. And so the problem is, okay, what if I, instead of giving you uh, a legitimate image, uh, I give you like a URL that's like HTTP colon slash slash 10.0.0.1, right? Mm-hmm. So private private network ID. So it's going to go to something on your network, right? I'm assuming that you're using 10.0.0.1, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So it's going to go to something on your network. And it turns out that there are, um, this is an attack that a lot of developers, until you like show them all of the ways that it, that the, all of the sophistication and exploitation People tend to believe like, oh, you know, that's not a real attack or like, you know, it's not, it's not serious. Um, and it turns out like it is, it can be really hard to exploit. Like it can be really sophisticated. Uh, the, the attacks can be really sophisticated. But um, once you get it, the results are re- often really disastrous. So usually the targets are something like a memcached, right? Or a Redis or mm-hmm. an Elasticsearch. Like these local services uh, very often deployed without any authentication enabled. So it's it's easy to create a forged request against it. Um, mm-hmm. And also in a lot of cases, particularly for like Memcached, um, you know, if you've got, uh, let's say like a Python service, uh, very often they put like pickles in there and pickles are a serialization format for, for uh, Python. And if you deserialize a malicious pickle, then that's basically arbitrary code execution. And the same thing is true for Java serialization. I just feel like, it's more common in Python projects um, to save pickles or in Ruby projects to use Marshall, which is the same problem, um, than in Clojure projects it is to use like Java native serialization. Like mm-hmm. I feel like most Clojure projects, like they're more likely to use, I don't know, you know, Eden plus GZIP or JSON plus GZIP or, uh, you know, Nippy or whatever. Uh, or Transit, yeah, exactly. Per- uh, perfect example. Um, all of these protocols that have uh, certainly have that issue less. I don't. I don't want to say that all of those are uh, uh, safe from uh, uh, code execution attacks on, on deserialization, but uh, you know, let's say that they're probably safer than uh, certainly pickle, where you know, like uh, a pickle proof of concept for this is like five lines of code. So, um, so uh, anyway, um, the so SSRF is that st- is the the general class of attack, mm-hmm. um, and. The, the problem with SSRF is that like as soon as you explain the attack to people and they don't you don't like walk through kind of all of the literature like how these attacks have gotten more sophisticated then the the obvious mitigations for SSRF are I'm not going to say incorrect but they're incomplete mm-hmm. um, in a way that like for SQL injection it's not right for SQL injection the answer is simple use prepared statements right like it's not or you know like your, your database knows how to deal with this. Just stop using string interpolation. You'll be fine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's a very effective mitigation. The mitigation for SSRF is much more complicated. For example, um, a really interesting attack is uh, DNS rebinding. Um, so what you do in DNS rebinding is, you know, so, okay, let's say you um, you you get this URL. I send you the, the webhook, ex- oh, sorry, the, um, the avatar example again, right? So I send you a URL. You're going to download the image. Mm-hmm. Well, what you could do is, okay, I parse the URL. And then I just look if the host is, you know, 10.something or if it's like, if it looks like a real internet host. And if it's a real internet host, I'm going to make the request and otherwise I'm going to return an error, right? Um, and it turns out that doesn't really work and it doesn't work for like the weirdest reasons. 
So first of all, I just said parsing a URL, which naively I used to believe that that's a thing that you can do. You cannot part like, what is a URL? Nobody knows. It depends. Are you a browser? Like if you believe the IETF, you go read the RFC, you get a different answer than if you believe what WG, um, which is what the browsers do, right? So mm -hmm. like you have these different implementations that disagree about the grammar. Um, and so I remember when we were exploiting this for, for Python backends, it's like you've got URL parse. So the standard standard library built in URL parse. Mm -hmm. You got URL lib. And then you've got like requests, which is the most popular external HTTP uh, 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 library. And all three of them like disagree on how to parse URL. So if you give them like a creatively formatted URL, like you're going to get very different answers. And even then, let's say that you, uh, you have one URL parser, right? Okay, you use the same one as your URL library, fine. Um, it's still, it, there's still a complication because people tend to like layer the protection on top of um, the other, like uh, on top of the underlying uh, HTTP client. So if I were to tell you, okay, you need to check if this thing is gonna connect to an internal resource or an external resource. Uh, I mean, I don't wanna tell you how you would do that, but I think most closure people would go, great, that's middleware, right? Like the same way that you've got mm -hmm. ring middleware that's modifying a, a, a request map, we're gonna take the request map, we're gonna modify it uh, and you know either pass it to the um, uh, the underlying uh, HTTP client or not, right? Like it's going to be mm -hmm. a function that takes an, uh, that modifies a, an HTTP um, client. And so the problem is, I don't think you can do it correctly that way uh, because uh, an example attack is uh, the DNS rebinding, where what you do is the first time you're, you you got this, it's it's uh, let's say that the the host name is um, evil.lvh.io, right? Mm -hmm. And evil.lvh.io is my domain, so I control the DNS server. And what I do is the first time that you try to resolve that host name, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to return the IP for like google.com or whatever, right? Like some public IP, no big deal. Mm -hmm. But then when you actually have the underlying HTTP client and it goes to make the request, then I'm going to return a different IP. I'm going to return the 10 dot. So it's like pass the check. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I got past the check, and then the second time I'm going to return the, the, the evil IP. Um, so that's an example of like how these attacks get more and more sophisticated. And, and the problem that I have with SSRF is that like I don't think that's an example of one where enclosure we're not better off than anywhere else, right? Like uh, XSS, yeah, sure, great, we're all using React. That said, I think everyone in the world is using React. Like it's not like we're the only uh, you know it's not like we're the only right. uh, community in the world that's using where React is popular. But at least there I can say, look, closure, you're likely to be doing okay. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, but like SSRF, I don't know. Uh, or like, you know, XXE, like inclusion attacks. I don't, you know, I don't think that we're sort of fundamentally safer um, mm -hmm. than, than anyone else. I know that's not a really satisfying answer, but there, there was a real, there was, there was a, um, uh, and then, uh, well, one other example is like logic bugs where I, I want to be careful to say that if you do X, then you're going to be safe. But there are ways where at least you have the opportunity to be safe. And I think logic bugs are a really good example because um, another question that someone from the audience um, asked when you were doing the prep for this uh, that I thought was a really, really good question is, uh, and it's, it's related and, and, it, and you'll, you'll see why in a sec, um, is, is it safer to use a... Um, use a, uh, a framework, use like a bunch of libraries that are already bundled together, 
So in mm-hmm. Python, like a Django or like a Rails or, or you know, like a, a pedestal mm-hmm. or Luminous or Flocker or whatever. Um, or is it safer to do the a la carte, you know, I'm going to use Ring, I'm going to use Hug SQL, like I'm going to use all of these little independent libraries and, and cobble together my own framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, very unsatisfying answer is it's <laughs> much more complicated than that. So, I, but there is something there, like that intuition that I assume the, like you wouldn't ask that question if you didn't think that there was something in, something there, right? And, and, and right. you're right, there is something there um, in that you you have probably a better chance, like if you're doing everything the Django way, the Rails way, the Luminous way, the Pedestal way, whatever, the framework way, then mm-hmm. you're less likely to, do, you know, if the framework is well-designed, it's going to try and push you in the direction of safe things. And so you're more likely to do safe things. That, you know, generally makes sense. I don't have the data to prove it, but like, you know, that sounds like a plausible hypothesis. Um, mm-hmm. But I also don't want to like turn around and say like, well, you can't, you know, I'm sorry, you use Ring directly. Your uh, your program is unsafe. Like that's not how it works. Right. Um, but that said, we've we actually recently had a CVE uh, in Rails where there was a uh, sorry, it was in Rails. It was in a Rails project. Um, CVE. Uh, so oh sorry, uh, CVE uh, stands for uh, uh, Common Vulnerabilities and Exploits, I think. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And like it's it's such a common term in security terms that I I don't even remember what it stands for. Right. Um, but uh, uh, but basically what it means is when you have, particularly in commercial or open source software, so when it's when a component, when it, it's a component that other people use, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then it can make a lot of sense to be able to talk about a vulnerability instead of saying like, hey, you know that vulnerability in that SAML library, there might be five vulnerabilities in that SAML library. So to make sure that we're talking about the same one, we use uh, a CVE number, uh, so it's like CVE dash and then the year uh, and then dash a number um, mm-hmm. for you know the just the sequence in that year, and um, so to get a CVE means we found a vulnerability in a public uh, in this case open source library. Uh, we talked to the uh, to the author, we helped them fix it, and uh, and then in order to be able to talk about the uh, vulnerability publicly, they requested a CVE so that there's like a number uh, associated with the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, this was in rails and it was basically, you turned on, I don't want to name the library because the, the author was super great about resolving the issue, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we emailed them and they were like, oh my gosh, you're right. I man- I have a reproducer, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this fix. Like they were, and then should I get a CVE? I'm going to get, go get a CVE. Like they were really, really good about, um, uh, so I don't want to like put them on blast. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but Basically, the vulnerability was if you turned on this Rails middleware thing, like this Rails functionality, like an integrated with Rails, then it would disable your CSERF protection. And it was really subtle why it uh, it, um, turned off your your CSERF protection. Like we didn't, at first, we were really sure why that was happening. It was just, you know, we were, again, using Burp to see like, hey, if I try to do CSERF requests, does that work? And it turns out it does. And we're looking at the code and like, yeah, but, you know, CSERF protection is on. It's right there. I can see it. Uh, it's like, mm. okay, but why is it disabled? So it took a while to figure out why. Um, and that's an example of one where I think that one, that is mutable state. Like that was an example of something where shared, like shared mutable state caused that problem. And so it would be yeah. a lot harder to have that problem in, in Clojure um, than in Ruby. But I don't want to say like, oh, you know, you're using ring middleware. It's fine. 
because I don't know about you, but how many times have you had ring middleware where you put the order in slightly wrong and now everything mm. breaks? Like, I don't want to say like, oh, we're using ring middleware, we're safe. Uh, uh, I've written at least one top sort for ring middleware. Right. So, um, cool. So, uh, so we talk about the, the front end, it's like the back end. We talk about the logic uh, bugs. Um, what else would be there to like talk about or where would you like to go next? Sure. So I think there's a couple of, of really, really good questions that, um, uh, that came from, um, from folks in the audience that I want to, um, that I want to address. Uh, and then there's a couple of like sort of generic pieces of advice. Uh, mm -hmm. so just so we give, give people like a little bit of actionable things that at least they can go do. Um, so, um, one of the things that I'm most worried about is software supply chain attacks. Uh, it's, and it's, it's mostly for, I think most of your listeners, it's going to be in open source dependencies. Um, because these things, you know, no matter how many people we fund with closures together, the fact is that you've got some piece of your, of your infrastructure that's like managed by, you know, one person in, you know, some country that you've never been to, you've never met this person and like their work is necessary for your application to function. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's almost like a matter of time before either they lose a key or they get a new contributor who turns out to actually be an attacker who's trying to compromise that library. Uh, and so the, the general attack is somebody publishes a new version of the library and it has a backdoor in it uh, and it does something nasty, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's one where actually I think, you know, Clojure might be a bit better off than other libraries, but it's for a really weird reason, which is um, that it's the size of the ecosystem, right? Because most mm. of these attacks, they're, they're spray and pray, right? Like they're not really going most of the time for any particular customer, um, at least in these open source dependencies, right? They're just trying to farm as many access keys, as many cloud accounts as possible, and then mine Bitcoin, right? Or Monero or some cryptocurrency, right? Like that's what they're doing. It's not, not that sophisticated. Um, and there we have the advantage, at least in Clojure, that... Um, you know, if you're using a bunch of closure libraries, it's less interesting for an attacker to try and compromise a closure library than it is to compromise like some NPM library that everyone uses, right? Like LeftPad mm -hmm. is the best example because, you know, it's this ridiculous tiny font. So LeftPad is a, an NPM library. It does what it sounds like. It literally pads to the left. That is all it does. It is a single function. It's like, I don't know, five lines or whatever. Um, and the um, and it turns out that like everyone depended on LeftPad. I forget exactly why it was, but it's like some uh, you know I think it was like in Bobble or like Webpack or, or something like that. There was like some dependency that basically everyone uses, um, yeah. uh, and uh, and therefore um, everyone relied on on LeftPad, uh, and so that compromise was 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 material. Um, and so in, in, you know, in ClojureScript, it's probably a little bit more dangerous because we use more of the React eco, uh, you know, or more of the JavaScript NPM, ecosystem. Yeah. And yeah, um, you know, the upside is that we're, at least we're using typically the Google Clojure with an S compiler and not, right. uh, not um, you know, the, the Webpack bobble. Uh, I know there are people who use Webpack and bobble with, uh, with Clojure, but, you know, it's, right. it's not as common. Um, so, uh, and, and the reason that matters for, um uh, for for um, the practical advice is if there's one thing that you go do today, if you are on AWS, go install AWS Vault. Uh, so it's AWS-Vault. It's a, a project mm -hmm. by 99designs. Uh, and so what AWS Vault does is super simple. It takes your AWS key 
and it stores it in your operating system's keychain. So if you're on macOS, it's going to store it in your know, keychain. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're on Windows, it's going to store it in you know whatever the Windows keychain is right. called. Um, and then when you try and run, you know, let's say Terraform apply, right, or something that needs um, to use your AWS credential, you just do AWS uh, Vault exec and then the name of the profile and then mm-hmm. whatever you're going to run. And what it does is it goes and gets a new temporary credential. So it gets a role cred, um, so mm-hmm. a role credential, and um, it uses that to execute the command. And now if, it get, if, if you get compromised, like it's, um, it's still, you're only losing the temporary credential if it's that one particular tool. And if you get compromised through a software supply chain attack, you lose nothing, right? Technically, it's not that good of a defense because you could argue like, well, the attacker has code execution, so they just have to be patient and they have to wait until you run AWS Vault and then they go get the credential from you, like as mm. soon as they've stolen your password or whatever. And that's true, but no attacker does that, right? Like oh, we, we know what these attacks look like. We've seen them and out, like it's, it's spray and pray. They're trying to get as many credentials as possible. They don't have time for any of these persistence gigs because the one upside is that, especially if you're a startup, the odds that they're coming after you specifically, really low, right? The attacks mm. that you're trying to prevent are the attacks that get everyone. So AWS Vault is like one super specific piece of advice, like go do that. Um, mm-hmm. Coming back to the uh, ecosystem size and what about Closure being hosted language and relying on some Java stuff. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's you know it's certainly the case that if you, um, I, I think that the difference between, uh, let's say the JavaScript ecosystem, the npm ecosystem, and the Java ecosystem is that in npm you've got these like this one library, you know, these like ridiculous tiny libraries like Leftpad that mm. everyone depends on. And I think that's mm-hmm. less true for Java, right? Like, it's not mm-hmm. like there's like a jetty that everyone depends on or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a big part of that is probably because of the standard library, because um, mm-hmm. the you know standard library is so much so much bigger and more more established. So there's less right. need to have common libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if there would be a library like that, it, it's going to be like a Jackson dependency or something, right? Like, it's going mm-hmm. actually if I if I was do if I was evil if I was doing this, I would for sure. Like do line depths tree or you know uh, CLJ dash S tree or whatever uh, on a project that it includes Jackson and just find the 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 tiniest Jackson dependency and go after that. Hmm. Right. It was not oh. advice. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so use AWS Vault uh, for any kind of interaction, uh, but this is uh, for interacting with AWS specifically, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Specifically mm-hmm. for AWS. I, I have a long-term project to, I want to, so AWS Vault has sort of like two pieces hiding inside of it. There's the AWS integration piece, and then there's the, um, you know, single API for every keychain under the sun piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I really want to extract the last part so that I can go make, you know, there, there's already a project called GCP Vault, and confusingly, it, it's for using HashiCorp Vault. It has nothing to, like, it's not the same thing at all. Um, I see. But, uh, you know, I would love there to be like a GCP vault, uh, Azure vault, et cetera. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't know of, uh, I don't know of any in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be nice if somebody wrote that. So as we talked about AWS, maybe it's a nice segue to cloud security. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How about we try to figure out like, so everybody's, well, everybody's moving to the cloud in one way or another. Um, how do we deal with that? So I think that there are a lot of basics that for cloud security that people uh, can easily check themselves for. Um, so there are open source tools, like for example, Scout Suite, um, 
who interestingly the, is developed by uh, a company called NCC Group. Uh, and uh, we actually just hired the person who uh, was working on Scout Suite at Batacora. Uh, but I, I hope that they find someone else to go, go work on the project. Um, but, um, uh, but still, Scout Suite is a, is a really amazing tool. It works on uh, Azure, GCP, and, and AWS. Um, and it just it um, uh, makes a bunch of API calls, and it will tell you things about like, hey, we found this configuration that we think is a little bit unsafe. Uh, and so that's something that I think that you know any company can go do that, uh, go run Scout Suite, look at the results, try and improve things. Um, you know, I think that's a that's a really straightforward place to start. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, for every like uh, for everything else, I think one of the challenges that I have with with cloud security is that it's even cloud security is so broad. Right, like look at how many services AWS produces on a uh, on a regular basis. Um, it's just there's 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 just so much there, um, mm. uh, and and it's it's hard enough for us to keep up, right? Like let alone if you're multi cloud, then you know if you're multi cloud, then you pretty much have to be on Kubernetes, right? Because like I don't understand how you could possibly keep up with more projects with all the projects that way. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and that's one where I would say. Um, uh, if you look at like why a lot of Quora uses Clojure, uh, cloud security is a perfect example because if you look at the problems that come out of cloud security, like I'm trying to, I, I, I've got all of this API data, right? Like I've got all of these, uh, these responses coming out of AWS, right? Um, and we have a system that, um, that figures out how to call everything in AWS. So it will, um, you know, you might have, uh, I don't know, image attributes in EC2, but before you know how to call image attributes, you first have to do list images because that's how you know you have an image ID uh, mm-hmm. that you need to do go to uh, uh, list image attributes, right? So we have this thing that like discovers this huge graph of things that you can go get from AWS and then it goes to get the huge graph of uh, things from AWS. And the thing is like, you're going to get, you don't know what AWS data is going to look like. AWS doesn't know yet what AWS data is going to look like next year, right? Because they haven't designed the services yet. And so you have this problem where you need to do pattern matching on, you know, I, I would call it the large tree. It's large by human standards. It's not like large by big data standards, right? Like we're talking, you know, I don't know, megabytes, right? Megabytes serialized. So let's say, I don't know, maybe a gigabyte or so in, in RAM. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, for that, all, a lot of the tools that we have in Clojure are amazing, right? So we take these trees and we like um, turn, you know, we we modify them so that they we can put them in data scripts, right? And we query them with Meander, uh, and and we query them with Spectre and stuff like that. And for that sort of stuff, like Clojure is fantastic, right? I don't get any of those tools in in most other programming languages, or at least it's it's much harder, you know, to to write um, uh, to write those. And so we use. Closure as more of like an exploratory data tool, I think is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and for that, it's really good. So it's not that Closure is a particularly safe or a particularly unsafe language. It's just that it has tools that are really good for working with extensible data. And I think that a lot of the problems that you're dealing with in cloud security are are um, are about uh, extensible data. And I mentioned Scout Suite explicitly. There are you know a bunch of other tools, open source, some commercial. Um, I would say that the main thing that you need to do is pick anything, pick one, pick anything. It doesn't really matter that much. Um, mm-hmm. There's like Prowler, there's Scout Suite, you know, there's um, uh, open source tools, or sorry, uh, commercial tools like the, the Prisma Suite. Um, I, I would focus less on, you know, what's the correct tool to use because if you haven't had anyone look at it before or you haven't looked at it with a sort of critical eye before, 
the, the problem is that uh, with uh, if you're trying to get it to work, if you're a DevOps person, the only thing that needs to happen is it needs to work, right? And so if you're, especially mm-hmm. if you're using like the AWS, um, uh, you know, the AWS console and you're using like the, the wizards, then it creates like 15,000 resources and it never mm-hmm. told you about them. Like if you're not using infrastructure as code, for example, right? Let's create all right. of these, infra- uh, these, these pieces of infrastructure. And many cases, like they're deployed in a way that is very likely to make the demo work. It's not right. deployed in a way that you probably wanted in prod, right? Like it's, it's only right. for testing. So, um, you know, just because I mentioned Scout Suite doesn't mean that I, I dislike Prowler or, or Prism or anything. You know, I just more pick a tool. I like Scout Suite. Scout Suite's fine. Uh, you know, it's it's not perfect, but no tool. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating on the platform you're listening to, sharing with others, and supporting it directly by buying some video courses and learning Clojure Script and Clojure. You can check out the courses at jacekshe.com. That is J A C K. S-C-H-A-E dot com. Thanks.